common sense recap of the day's biggest stories. It's John Katz and Rita Cosby. Katz and Cosby on 77 WABC. Well, this is John Katz This is the most important show in uh, the whole Northeast right now. And uh, there's so many things happening. And, and the joke I tell, but it's not really a joke, and that even the KGB listens in to find out what the heck is we're going to say and what's what's happening. <coughs> Uh, in the studio, we have uh, Congressman Peter King. Uh, we have former FBI uh, director in charge of all of New York, uh, George Venizelos. And uh, we have Governor Pataki, who went to the most important meeting in New York today, and he may talk about it. Uh, and we have Judge Richard Weinberg. And uh, for the first order of business, I woke up at 3 o'clock in the morning, and I got a letter from the Nassau County Police Department. Now, they were very, very upset uh, that uh, they felt that there was allegations against uh, by one of our hosts uh, against the uh, Nassau County Police Department. And, and look, whatever the allegations might have been or whatever is things that happened way before, like 10, 15 years ago. But are we on behalf of WABC, I, John Katzmatidis, apologize to them and uh, we uh, we will put it on the record and uh uh, would you read, Rita Cosby, you're much better at this than I am. Would you read the letter from uh, Nassau County Police Department, uh, Mr. Uh, Patrick? Pat yeah, Pat Patrick Ryder. Patrick Ryder. Yeah, this is and the letter. he's the commissioner of, uh, and, of the uh, Police Department of Nassau County. Exactly. So Pat Ryder sent you a letter in the wee hours of the morning, as you know, uh, basically saying that the alleged killer, and he's talking about the Gilgo Beach case, uh, possessed a hunting and target license only, uh, not a concealed weapons permit, because there was a lot of questions about why he had so many weapons. Um, and it was issued under the same tenure of both Democrat and Republican administrations, saying there's no partisan politics involved in the issuance of political uh, of these permits, of these pistol permits. He also further also just defended the department. And of course, we all think the world of the police department saying, quote, the Nassau County Police Department is the 12th largest police department in the United States, has an impeccable record of integrity and basically says that some of the things that were said were not correct and that it was important. He wanted to set the record straight. And and I think it's great that he wrote to us and, and we are setting the record straight. And we are straight. setting the record uh, straight. One thing. And, uh, <laughs> uh, Congressman King, go ahead. Yeah, uh, Padre specifically said that not one Concealed weapon permit was issued at all. There were allegations. There were ninety. There was zero. That person did not receive one concealed not one permit. Concealed not yes. one. Yes. And he's not in the possession of any concealed weapon in New York State. Yes. If he got it on his own. Okay. Yes. And he said also, by the way, um, the Gilgo Beach killer, obviously <clears throat> as horrific as these allegations are against him, had no prior record too, because that's also the standard for issuing well, WA, permits in general. WABC is going to take a position. Let's wait and see what law enforcement does and uh, find out what the truth is. We got the uh, FBI on it. We have the state troopers on it. We have uh, Sheriff Toulon on it. And uh, later on in the show, uh, we have uh, D.A. Tierney is going to be making a statement uh, when he uh, was on the phone with Judge Weinberg. Uh, and also uh, George Venizelos, the former head of the FBI in New York, along with Congressman Peter King, are going to discuss it. But. Without any further ado, Governor Pataki, you were at the most important meeting in New York today. You had 25 or 30 of the most important CEOs. You don't have to mention any names. The most important CEOs 
uh, of uh, uh, of New York, and uh, uh, it was addressed by you and Governor uh, uh, Patterson, a Democrat and a Republican. You both uh, are uh, two of the hey uh, under under your leadership and Governor Patterson's leadership. Uh, New York was a great place to live in. Well, thank you, John, and that, and that's what we want to see again, and that's what the leaders of the business community want to see again, and that's why they actually requested that we come sit down with them uh, and have a meeting this morning, and uh, because they're concerned. Hey, by the way, they uninvited me. <laughs> I was invited, and then I was uninvited because <laughs> they they don't consider me a grocery man anymore. They consider me a media person. They don't want any media people there. That's amazing. <laughs> well, I would consider you jack of all trades. I was going to say, I mean, a media grocery, titan. Grocery, real estate, media, whatever. Oil, you, you know, Oil and it. gas. Yeah. You know, yeah, transportation. But anyway, uh, had I known that, I may have picketed instead of actually participated in the, <laughs> in the breakfast this morning. But they were very concerned. And they called us in because they feel the same as I think most New Yorkers do that this city and this state have real problems, and the problems aren't being addressed. And, in fact, the government is generally making them worse. Uh, in Albany, they're making them worse. Too often in the city council, they're making them worse. And they just wanted to reach out and see if we had any suggestions as to how they could become more active in trying to turn around this state so that we have the confidence in the future that we should have. This is New York. We should believe in tomorrow, and yet – We've lost over a half million people in the last year or two. The the revenues are seven billion dollars down. The controller just said that crime is uh in a up in a way that is unsustainable, and we've got to change it. And they want to be a part of that change. And that was a very positive development. I spoke to uh, Governor uh, Patterson at lunch today, uh, and uh, he uh, he feels that these uh, CEOs that were of some of the largest companies in New York. Uh, a really, really concerned. He says he heard it in their voice. They're, they're very concerned. And in fact, uh, one of them said that he wouldn't be surprised to see a major New York City Fortune 100 company leave. They, they've done it in the past and he's afraid it's going to happen again. But the encouraging thing is that they we really want to change things. They understand that this is a crisis. And I started out by saying, you know, I, I've been to a dozen of these meetings and everybody says, isn't it great? We had a meeting and nothing happens. Uh, and I'm sure they were thinking, well, we're going to have a meeting and nothing's going to happen. And I challenged them to actually take steps, to get involved, to do things and to lay out an agenda and to go to Albany with that agenda, to go to City Hall with that agenda, crime being at the top of the list. Uh, and uh, a number of the people there said, absolutely, we got to get involved. We have to be more active and hopefully we'll see that. You know, you talk about crime being at the top of the list. Uh, what were some of the other things they cited? And also, does it look like there could be some sort of tangible to change this exodus that we always talk about? Uh, you know, about? we need that. We need we need a, a concerted effort to change things. Uh, and Albany is a mess, and it's just getting worse. The city council is a mess. The mayor Ab- uh, Adams is trying, but uh, he's up against it. And in Albany, Governor Hochul gets her vetoes overridden uh, and her appointments rejected. So. I honestly think things are going to change. I think they are going to get involved. I think sometimes things have to get bad enough before they get better. They're, they're bad enough. And they're they bad, enough. bad enough. And right I now. think they're they're motivated, and hopefully this just won't be another meeting where you leave saying, wasn't that a great meeting, where some hopefully from this something actually comes. And you mentioned uh, other issues, crime, 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 crime. Uh, if you don't feel safe, you're not going to be here. Uh, uh, taxes. 
You know, uh, it's crazy. You go to Texas, and I mentioned it. Goldman Sachs has more jobs in Texas than New York City. Uh, and, and it's not because the weather's better in Texas. It's 110 there. It's because people just don't have the confidence they have to. So crime, taxes, education, uh, transportation. There are just so many issues where this city and state are doing the wrong thing. And instead of getting better, it's getting worse. But it doesn't have to be that way. It can change. And I'm going to try to help in any way I can to make it change. Well, we're going to use the WABC microphones to help make a change. There's 51 city council seats uh, available, This uh, 51 out of 51 yeah. in the five boroughs. Now, what the heck? I mean, uh, if if people don't come out and vote for common sense, I don't care if they're Democrats, Republicans, <clears throat> but I want common sense. I want a dedication. That people are going to say, we are going to vote for common sense. And if any uh, city council districts, any city council districts want to say, we want to, uh, what do we want, Rita? We want to defund the police. You know what I'm going to say to them? Well, when, when you're, we're going to tell your constituents, when you dial 911, nobody's going to come. John, that's exactly what I was saying Bravo. to them. Is it, they have to be held accountable. Uh, they, they just respond to the radical left and to the advocacy groups that are out there screaming in their air, uh, and they don't have any consequence for their votes. We're going to have to make sure the public knows what they think, what they're doing, and they are held accountable. And if they are, I think we can see dramatic change. And I think, John, you're absolutely right. It can start this fall with the city council and then next year in Albany. Yeah, and you need to get people involved, too, of all parties, like John's talking about, too. Because, I mean, the the bottom line, crime isn't a Republican issue, it, a Democratic issue. It's an American issue. It's a New Yorker issue. It's Except, a New Jersey issue. Uh, that's exactly right. It's, that's the way it should be. But it's become something where the we, Democrats are defunding the police, not standing with the police. We need common sense we Democrats. We need common sense, Governor. Upset. We're going to talk about it some more, but I understand we got some breaking news. We got uh, former speaker, breaking news. former speaker Newt Gingrich coming on, and maybe he'll tell us what the heck is going on in Washington because they got a mess over there. Yeah. Boy, do they ever! And joining us now is the great former speaker of the House, Newt Gingrich. Uh, Newt, um, I assume you were also by the way watching the IRS whistleblower hearing today. This is huge. It's still going on. Well, look, I think that the elite media, the New York Times, the Washington Post, the other networks, all have a real crisis now. You have real validation by several different people from several different agencies that the effort to get to justice with Hunter Biden was consistently being blocked. The attorney general, I think, has forgotten that the only cabinet officer ever to go to jail in the history of the United States was the Attorney General Mitchell in Watergate, uh, and he went to jail for obstruction of justice. And I think you're very close to having an obstruction of justice case being built here. Uh, it's also important to remember, this is not about Hunter Biden. This is about Joe Biden. Hunter Biden was the bag man. Uh, Hunter Biden was not hired ever for his own skills. He was hired for being his father's son, and for being uh, the entry point to a network of influence and corruption. And I think uh, as we learn more about the Biden crime family, uh, this is all going to get to be steadily worse. And you have two parallels. You have the corruption of the Biden family, and you have the corruption of the Department of Justice, the IRS, and the FBI. Uh, And it's these two parallels that are really so sobering and so complicated. 
you know, Newt, I was watching the hearings all day. I was I was glued to them. And what I was really amazed by, first of all, I found these guys to be very credible. Uh, both of them with 10 years in the IRS. One of them was the direct agent right there on the Hunter Biden case. The other one is Gary Shapley, his supervisor. And they were very methodical and also saying what they knew and what they didn't know. And just to your point, what I found stunning, and I believe it was Shapley who said it was, we wanted to go after, you know, the president. We wanted to go after at the time, you know, the former vice president. Because we saw this money train. We saw money going, and it was tens of millions of dollars they're talking about, going to the grandkids, first off, which was odd. You know, why are you paying the grandkids X? Um, and then we wanted to go after the father. We wanted to look at, at least look at these allegations. They were blocked every step of the way. It was stunning. And they also said in all the years, and Shapley uh, said that he had done investigations in a dozen countries. I mean, these were seasoned guys. Said he had never seen this. What was your reaction to just blatant, to me, stonewalling? And, and it begs so many questions today of who else needs to go under oath now after this. Well, I mean, first of all, you're, you're about to have a direct confrontation between the U.S. attorney in Delaware and the attorney general because they're telling opposite stories. Now, one of them is lying. And my hunch is it's the attorney general. Uh, so that that's going to be a, a very key part of how this plays out. Second, um, I mean, let, let's be straight here. Joe Biden has been lying to the country for years, just plain straight out lying. He said he didn't know what was going on. We now know he actually met with a number of these players. Uh, you know, when I when I learned the other day that as a as a result of one of the deals uh, that that Hunter bought a hundred and forty two thousand dollar Porsche. And I thought to myself, how how could Joe Biden with a straight face tell the country he didn't notice that his son had bought a $142,000 car? He didn't say to him, gosh, where's the money coming from? I mean, you you have to have a stunning willingness uh, to just deny reality. And, and that's why I wrote a newsletter at Gingrich 360 last week about the granddaughter who Joe Biden refuses to admit exists, because uh, a, a man who will get his entire family to agree to make a four-year-old girl a non-person uh, is a man who is so ruthless and so cold uh, that you know they have lived their life out, uh, keep thinking they will always get away with it. You know what I I'm going to repeat something that this is where my jaw dropped in the hearing today. This is the whistleblower X who for the first time came out publicly. Um, he said by his own accord, he said he's a Democrat. He's uh, gay. He brought that up because he said, I have no political agenda whatsoever. He said, I want people to know I'm here because I couldn't take it anymore. His name is Joe Ziegler. And here's the exchange. He was asked by Comer, how much money from Romania came into Hunter Biden and his family and others? Three point one million from another company, three million, another company, three million, another one, three point seven million. Burisma, six point five million. Uh, it totaled over 15 million, somewhere between 15 to 20. And he said it's just the tip of the iceberg. I, I mean, these are big numbers, Newt. Well, I mean, nobody's really gotten into the University of Pennsylvania and the University of Delaware. I think the University of Pennsylvania alone got between 40 and $60 million of Chinese communist money. And remember, the Secretary of State and nine White House appointees were getting money 
from the University of Pennsylvania, which I believe was Chinese communist money. And as part of the package, the president of the University of Pennsylvania became ambassador to Germany. The chairman of the board became ambassador to Canada. Uh, it was all part of the same corruption. And so as you start adding these things up, we're going to start approaching $100 million in foreign influence peddling uh, aimed right at the Bidens. And, and again, I want to repeat, everything goes to Joe. It's not about Hunter. It's not about drug addiction. It's not about this poor guy. He's the bag man. He's not the source. The source is Joe. Yeah, and by the way, they also talked about that 1023, the famous 1023. That's that discussion with the FBI, that document from a credible source, and about the $5 million that the Burisma guy basically paid Joe, five to Hunter Biden, and the whistleblowers both said they were stymied. They wanted to look into it, at least look into it, to see if it's credible or not, and they were not even allowed what do you think should happen now, Newt Gingrich, especially the plea hearing for Hunter Biden uh, to agree to well, those misdemeanors and the diversion? That's next hope, week. Look, I hope the judge is going to throw the whole thing out. Uh, it, it is so clearly an act of corruption. Uh, you know, They deliberately waited for the statute of limitation to run out on the biggest tax liabilities. And somebody should put together what those tax liabilities are and make the point since Joe Biden talks about tax cheats. Shouldn't Hunter voluntarily pay all that money to the U.S. government? It's clear that he owed it. Uh, and, and it's going to come to, I think, several million dollars that, that he cheated on his taxes. Uh, again, of course, uh, all this is just a subplot because a lot of the money that Hunter Biden was making, he says, and I think it's in his laptop, he complains at one point how much he's having to pay to Joe, uh, you know, uh, that he he's picking up expenses, he's paying for all sorts of things on behalf of his father, because in the end, and I I cannot overstate this, this is not about Hunter Biden. Hunter Biden did not influence the attorney general. The president did. Hunter Biden has not blocked the investigations. The president did. And I think we need to be clear, this, this is already a bigger and deeper scandal than Watergate, and it's going to keep growing. And as the House Republicans keep doing their job, and this is why winning that election was so important, and having Speaker McCarthy rather than Speaker Pelosi is so important because we now have the tools and the legal authority to get to the bottom of this. Newt Gingrich, thank you so much for coming on. John Katzmatidis here, and and it's very sad for our country, but the American people all they want is the truth, and uh, we're going to get down to the truth, and uh, we're going to find out what happened. I mean. It, Attorney General was in Mitchell went to jail, and we'll see what happens. That's exactly right. Thank you so much. We'll we'll keep track over the next few weeks. Yeah, for sure. Newt, thank you very much, Newt. And now, uh, yesterday we had uh, uh, Tom DiNapoli on, the controller, uh, and there's some large shortfalls in in tax collections. Uh, Tom DiNapoli, who's a very, very decent guy, feels that uh, uh, things will work out for this year, but he's worried about years to come uh, because the exodus is continuing. Uh, and uh, we have Paul Zuber on. He's going to join us oh, right after the break. break. Yep. Right he's, after the break. Yep. Go ahead. 
Perfect. He's going to join us right after the tell break. Who do, you, who, do you, who do you have? Well, we have Paul Zuber, who's going to be joining us. And also, we're going to be also talking to Andy McCarthy in the show to get his assessment on today. John Solomon. And also, we're going to hear from Peter King and George and, Venizelos. And George Venizelos and Peter King. And uh, I think uh, uh, Governor Pataki has a few more things to say. So I bet he does. Stay tuned. you get more news on WABC than any place, any place else. Any place else. You're commuting home with Katz and Cosby. Now, here's John Katz and Matidis and Rita Cosby on 77 WABC. Well, what the heck is going on in New York State? Uh, I mean, we have the highest budget ever to spend, and tax revenues are down. I understand 484,000 New Yorkers have moved out. We had 60, 70, 80,000. We lost track of migrants coming in that we have to support. I mean, at what point does it blow up? With us today is... We've got Paul Zuber, who is joining us. He's the senior VP of the New York Business Council uh, for New York State. Uh, Paul, we're so happy to have you. What the heck is going on, and how can we sustain this? Uh, I, I don't know how we can sustain it. And, you know, I think that the comptroller's report that recently came out that talked about the huge budget gaps that New York is facing, um, it's very disconcerting. Uh, you know, obviously, there was a weakening of the economy, and that played heavily on, on tax receipts. So there was a downward estimate of about $5 billion um, each year from 2024 to 2027, but we also have to remember that the governor and the legislature also increased spending by over a billion dollars in 2024 to 2027. And I think what really kind of makes it, um, you know, scary and disconcerting is I don't think anybody um, could say that in the last year, economists were telling us that the economy had this rosy picture and, you know, we were going to have this this wonderful market. I think everybody was talking about a recession, but still in that environment, they added $1.9 billion to an already record-setting $223 billion budget. So, you know, we have to start realizing, you know, at some point we have to pay the piper, right? And that is what is very scary about this because according to the comptroller, you know, we're talking about an, a budget out your budget gap of nine billion next year, eleven billion the year after that, another eleven billion the year after that. And when those things happen, you know, there's very few things that we can do. What we call, what we usually call an Albany one-shot um, revenue um, increases to offset that. And it could mean higher taxes. It could mean more cuts in services. So it's. It's it's very disconcerting that, you know, the people who are in charge in New York didn't take a more um, pragmatic and careful look at what was going on with the economy. So how do we turn this around? Judge Weinberg, you have a Paul, question for Paul yeah, Zuber. Paul, aren't you concerned that we're going to run out of federal money? There's not going to be the federal money coming in the way we had it during COVID? Yeah, and it, it, absolutely, Judge. I think I think that is definitely the case. Um, we're not going to have that 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 federal money come coming in, and it, to make it even worse, so so the audience can understand, a lot of what we use the federal money for, in my opinion, was not 
the right things that were going to help business and drive the economy. A perfect example is unemployment insurance. We have a $6 billion unemployment insurance debt. Every state, pretty much every state, used their federal money to pay down that debt. Why did they do that? Because they knew that businesses were going to be the ones left on the hook for nothing that they did wrong, for things that they did because people told them they had to close their business during the pandemic. New York didn't do that. Our unemployment debt is about $6 billion. Um, so what every business in New York State can expect is an extra tax bill over the next probably decade in which their taxes are going to increase per employee because we didn't even use the federal money for the right thing. And so, yes, the federal money is, is going to dry up and it's going to leave the state you know, trying to find other means to fill these budget gaps. Uh, Governor Pataki, do you have a thought on, on where this is headed? You were also in that huge business meeting uh, yourself yeah, this morning. Well, Paul, Paul, first, I'm awfully happy you're there at the Business Council, and good luck with everything. But there's only two ways to solve this. One, you raise taxes, or two, you cut spending. And if they raise taxes any more, the exodus is just going to uh, continue to expand. So to me, there's only one solution, and that is they've got to cut spending. And it's not easy, but we did it. When I was there, we did it. The first three years I was in office, we had declines and spending year each year. Uh, and that's what they're going to have to do in Albany. It's either that or pretend things are all right, tax people out of the state, and we're gone. So uh, that was uh, one of the things I said at my meeting with the business council this morning and I just uh, with the New York City partnership, and I just hope that there are enough advocates out there fighting against the, uh, the people who want to spend more to get the message across, we have got to cut spending. Absolutely, Governor. And as you know from from doing it yourself, um, you know, the governor has to stand strong and we have to stand strong with the governor because we're going into an election year. And you remember your time as, as governor um, when it's an election year time, the legislature wants to spend, 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 because, you know, obviously they're worried about um, their members getting reelected. So, you know, the governor's going to have to take a strong stance and 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 slow down some of this bleeding. Uh, you know, we raised minimum wage. Everybody told us we had to raise minimum wage. Well, lo and behold, when you read the comptroller's report, something that we knew at the business council, there are wages that are tied to the minimum wage. So it increased Medicaid spending. So we got we, we have to kind of realize that, you know, the, the days of the feds giving us all this money are, are soon to be over. And we have to start doing things that help increase our tax base, that helps keep people in New York State. That helps grow our economy. And like you said, we're going to have to make some hard decisions, and that's the only way to get around it. Yeah, 1,000%. Well, Paul Zuber, thank you so much for being here. Uh, we want to keep everybody in New York, of course, and, and make sure it's safe and also good for business health-wise, too, as well, for so many different reasons. Um, thank you for being with us, Paul. We really appreciate you joining us here on Cats and Cosby. Thank you, Paul. Thank Thank you. I appreciate it. Okay, let's take a break. And when we come back, who are we coming back with? We've got Andy McCarthy, uh, former assistant U.S. attorney, talking about this bombshell today with the IRS whistleblowers. And we have George Venizelos, of course, from the, the FBI. FBI and Congressman Peter King. And we have some big explosive stuff and some conversations about and the Gilgo Beach. Tierney. Yes, D.A. Tierney. Wait till you hear from him. A great interview with him. This is the story of the one. As head of maintenance at a concert hall, he knows the show must always go on. That's why he works behind the scenes, ensuring every light is working, the HVAC is humming, 
and his facility shines. With Granger's supplies and solutions for every challenge he faces, plus 24-7 customer support, his venue never misses a beat. Call quickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done. It's a common sense recap of the big stories. It's Cats and Cosby on 77 WABC. Joining us now here on Cats and Cosby to talk about this explosive hearing that took place today with the IRS whistleblowers is Andy McCarthy, of course, former deputy U.S. attorney. And Andy, we're so happy that you're here. Uh, what was your reaction to the whistleblowers today? By the way, um, the Democrats kept trying to come at them. Um, did they create a buzzsaw or not? <laughs> they walked into a buzzsaw, that's for sure. Yeah, I thought so, I, too, I by the way. I thought so, too, Andy. <laughs> yeah, well, so here's the thing. And I, you know, I don't usually have a lot of sympathy for these guys, Rita, so bear with me for a second. But, you know, in most of the cases I worked on as a prosecutor for 20 years, I always knew more about the law than the agents did, as you would expect. I was That was the reason I was the lawyer on the case, right? Um, tax is different. It's a very kind of abstruse area of the law to the point, by the way, that uh, you can't, unlike most other crimes, you can't prosecute a tax case anywhere in the United States unless the tax division at the Justice Department in Washington greenlights it. So everybody understands it's a it's a uniquely esoteric area of the law. And the agents in those cases tend to know more than the prosecutors do about what the legal requirements are and the best ways to investigate them. Uh, and it turns out that in that kind of with that as the setup, these two particular guys were like the best two guys they have at the IRS which is why, of course, they got assigned to uh, important cases. And, you know, right from the beginning, uh, Jamie Raskin, who is the, uh, uh, you know, sort of nutty law <clears throat> professor who likes to come off like he's, uh, you know, uh, a, a great litigator, uh, tried to put words in the mouth of uh, the supervisor guy, Gary Shapley, about, you know, isn't it common that prosecutors and agents disagree with each other all the time? Uh, and rather than agree with that unexceptional proposition, which most witnesses would do, Shapley said, that may be some cases, but that's not this case. In this case, the prosecutors and the agents agreed completely that there were tax felonies that we should be prosecuting. So, you know, like right from the get go, these guys slammed the first couple of guys who um, who, who tried to <clears throat> question them. And I think what happened after that is the Democrats began to filibuster about anything but the Hunter Biden case. Yeah. By the way, Andy, they were talking about Trump like like it was like and Donald Trump, uh, you know, he jaywalked three years ago. I mean, it was like 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 the whistleblowers are like, wait a minute, we're here to testify about something totally different. Uh, Was that a telltale sign to you? I mean, what I love is they indict Donald Trump, he says, because he thought his his building was worth a billion dollars. In his opinion, it was worth a billion dollars. Well, let's indict that guy. Right. It's like over yeah. anything. And, and you know, now, John, they're coming up with another one, too. I mean, he got the target letter the other day. It's like, let's keep them coming. And yet here we're hearing the astounding amount of money, uh, to John's point, the double standard here. I mean, tens of millions of dollars, Andy McCarthy, and they let the statute of limitations expire on purpose. That was the allegation from these whistleblowers. That was really powerful. 
Yes, it was. And, and to be clear, Rita, what they're saying is that this was not the agents dilly dallying on this. This was the prosecutors, um, including this guy uh, Weiss in Delaware, but mainly the Justice Department uh, decided to let the Barisma evidence, which is the very important evidence uh, of, of, you know, lots and lots of money that went to Hunter Biden for nothing. Um, those counts were from 2014 and 2015. Apparently, Hunter Biden's lawyers had agreed that they would extend the statute of limitations while they were negotiating a potential <clears throat> plea. And the Justice Department said no and let the counts lapse, which, as the as the agent witnesses said today, there's no conceivable reason why it would be in the Justice Department's interest to not take a stipulation that would give them more time to bring the prosecution, yet they did. Yeah, it was stunning. Well, Andy McCarthy, thank you so much for being here. Uh, we really appreciate it on such a huge news day, Andy. Always great to get your perspective. My pleasure. Have a great night. Thank you, Andy. Okay, uh, studio, let's play. Uh, we recorded uh, DA Tierney about uh, an hour ago. Do you have that tape? Let's tape, let's play Tierney and then we're going to have George Venizelos and Congressman King comment on that. Let me ask you two questions. If you can comment, I'd, I'd appreciate it. If you can't, I'll, I'll understand. Number one, there, there were allegations that there was some sort of cover up by previous regimes, whether in the DA's office or the police department out in, in Suffolk County. Uh, I'm a firm believer people shouldn't make allegations unless they're substantiated. Is, have you looked at that? Is that a matter of concern to you? Sure. I mean, actually, that was something that that was looked at a long time ago by, by the U.S. Attorney's Office. Um, I don't. There, I, it's not that I don't think there were no allegations, or there were no credible allegations of any kind of a cover-up. Um, so, you know, I, I can I can unequivocally state that there was never a cover-up. Okay. And secondly, are there other people of interest in this matter, or, or are you looking at this as a sole actor? So, you know, one of the, the good things about, you know, doing things through the grand jury and, and, and you know, keeping your investigations confidential is that uh, targets and uh, not see you coming. So we're going to maintain the, the confidentiality of our investigation. I can tell you that with regard to the uh, commission of these three charged crimes, we don't believe there were any accomplices. And that was an interview uh, that we joined with. Uh, Judge Weinberg, and he is the Suffolk County DA, Ray yes. Tierney. I just want to make sure everybody knows who is yes. listening. Judge he's the Richard point Weinberg person. interviewed uh, the DA. Yep, point person on the case, too. I mean, a lot of credibility, obviously. Who did a great job on this case, Ray, Kier- Ray Tierney. Absolutely. Well, and joining no. us now to talk about all of this, the reason we're playing this is uh, we brought in, of course, Congressman Peter King and also George Venizelos, who is, of course, in charge of the New York Division of the FBI for so many years um, and, and first off, um, John, we do our back the blue. I want to say every night on, on my show, I do a back the blue segment. I'm very proud you. of that. Good for you. And we do our huge back the blue segment, uh, day here at WABC. Right. So we love law enforcement. You guys wanted to come on to talk about a couple things to set the record straight. Go ahead, George. Well, the, the one point I want to make here, I mean, there was some great work done at, at the end here and there's some great work done over the years and, and some, this chatter that was going on about cover-ups, about second-guessing different different parts of the case, really, really takes away from the hard work 
that the, the men and women from the Suffolk County, Nassau County, New York State Police, at the end, the FBI. And I just want to stress, we're talking about the Gilgo Beach case, yes. of course, because they just arrested uh, Rex yes. Sherman. So, yeah. yeah, go ahead. And, and they, you know, and these, these, you know, these agencies work together. Suffolk County did a lot of work on this, a lot of work. Even the previous administrations did a lot of work on it. And, and I think I commend this administration now that came in and, and, and really, really put it all together and got everybody together again. And, and it, it was great work. And to sit here and, and argue and over cover-ups and this and that, it, it's just, it's not right. It's not right. It puts a bad taste in the law enforcement's mouth. You know, for once, they do something good. And then we're, we're talking about second-guessing. Oh, you should have solved it 10 years ago. This, that, making allegations. And it, it just didn't sit right with me. And, and uh, Peter. Congressman Peter King? Yeah, first of all, I, I endorse everything that George has said. And I actually had the privilege of working with George during the time of these investigations. I know firsthand the tremendous work that was done by the police department, by the district attorney's office, by the FBI. And I give uh, Ray Tierney tremendous credit for bringing this to a head, but also in the previous police commissioner, Jerry Hart. It was, it was the top FBI official on Long Island before she became police commissioner. She did a great job. And to me, it was also Nassau County, Pat Ryder, we can go to Rodney Harrison, those were all of them. And before that, Tim Senior, DA and police commissioner, did a terrific job. And it was really unfortunate that people were making allegations that there was a cover-up, that there was uh, more to this than there was, that people were being uh, protected. It was really shameful, especially anything happening on this station, which, as you said, has always been back the blue completely. It was a disservice to the station, a disservice to the community, and those allegations were disgraceful and should never have been made, and I hope apologies come from some of the people who made those allegations. George, yeah. your thoughts? Yeah, I agree with Peter, and I, and I think at this point, we have to move on, you know, and, and I think we have to to praise the good work that was being done, and you know what? The case is still ongoing, this is only three murders that, that, that this person is accounted for. Is he guilty for the others? Probably. Is there other people involved on some of these other murders? You know, that's where the investigation's ongoing, and they're going to we'll find out. This is, sometimes we have to have patience, and I think this is the, one of the challenges that law enforcement has, is that the media has no patience. The media wants to solve the case before they do. And sometimes you have to have patience and let the, let the professional investigators do their job. And really give them credit for the great job they did at all levels. Well, thank you, guys. Thank you very much. And uh, uh, let's uh, take a break. Maybe we'll come back and do Oh, should we do John Solomon right now? I think we should do it after the break. What do you think? I think we should Uh, do it after the break. Let's take a break, and we'll come back with John Solomon. And and maybe we do have time for Ben Carson. Maybe we do. We've got a lot going on here on Cats and Cosby. Everybody stick with us. Vacation starts with VA. One thing you'll love about your trip to Virginia is that you'll never have to settle for one thing. All that you love is all in one trip. Start yours at Virginia.org. A common sense recap of the day's biggest stories. It's John Katz and Rita Cosby. Katz and Cosby on 77 WABC. Breaking news. WABC. And joining us now with some breaking news is John Solomon of Just the News. John, talk about the big IRS whistleblower hearing, big fireworks. Yeah, a lot of contentious clashes. Uh, A great moment where Gary Shapley, the whistleblower whose name we've known for quite some time, uh, was clashing with Raskin, and Raskin kept trying to get him to say something. He said, no matter how many times you say it, it doesn't change the facts. This is what happened. These whistleblowers repeatedly stuck to their guns. They provided a factual recitation of how the U.S. Attorney's Office in Delaware 
thwarted their ability to investigate Hunter Biden like other tax suspects and defendants that they've dealt with, that they did sign off on a larger felony case and then back away from it. And then the second whistleblower for the first time, we've known whistleblower X. Now we know his name. His name is Joseph Ziegler. He uh, has worked for the FBI, the IRS for 13 years. He went out of his way to identify himself as a gay Democrat married to his husband who was present at the hearing to disarm some of the Democrats who might try to suggest, well, he had a partisan motive in going after Hunter Biden. That took the whole political angle right off the table at the beginning of this. But the, the, in great detail and specificity and consistency, these whistleblowers described how at every step of the investigation, they were thwarted from normal tactics that an investigator would use. Uh, Hunter Biden was tipped off or his team or the Biden team was tipped off several times. And as Joe Ziegler said, they, they, they were slow walked to an extreme level. Uh, the very consistent uh, story now also backed up by an FBI whistleblower who was interviewed Monday by the same committee. Yeah, what did you think was the most compelling? I was watching it, and they seemed very credible. They seemed very methodical. They didn't seem partisan. Your reaction? Yeah, listen, I think these are what uh, most law enforcement people who work in the FBI and IRS look like, talk like, and work like. They just want to arrest people for crimes and do so without regard to one's politics or identity or fame. Uh, And they realized in this case that that wasn't uh, happening here, that Hunter Biden was clearly being treated differently because of his name and his father's connections. Uh, And every time they tried to restore the investigation back to the way it normally would be done for any other Joe Q public member of the American public, they were thwarted. And uh, I think they, they came off exactly as who they are. They're just, there are thousands of FBI and IRS agents that go to work every day, just trying to do their job. And these two guys just happened to draw a politically explosive case and they saw politics infect every part of the decision-making process. And as a result, Hunter Biden got away not paying taxes on his Burisma money. That's something they testified to today. And he got off with far lesser charges than which had originally been agreed to be brought and that other defendants would have faced if they weren't named Hunter Biden. That's the sum total of their testimony. You know, I want to ask you also, uh, before I let you go, about James Comer. Apparently he's going to be subpoenaing some big documents. Talk about that. Yeah, today is the big uh, hearing for him. But next week, the big moment is that Devin Archer, the business partner, right-hand man of Hunter Biden during much of his foreign business pursuits, uh, is going to has agreed to cooperate and testify in a, um, a transcribed interview. And he has a tranche of documents frozen in time from when they were pursuing the money from Ukraine, Burisma, China, Romania, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, and uh, he can't get access to them. The FBI seized them back when uh, Devin Archer was indicted and eventually convicted in a tribal bond scheme. And he wants them back. He's paid the money for them, and the firm that has them just hasn't transferred them. James Comer said, enough's enough. We're going to drop the subpoena. Congress will get them for both Devin Archer and the American public. This could be a very important tranche of documents. They're documents the FBI had in their possession. And uh, if they were to come to light, I think they would answer a lot of the questions about who knew what, when, what they were talking about contemporaneously, things that can't uh, be attacked as bad memories. There's frozen in time as factual evidence. Wow. Well, John Solomon, thank you so much for joining us here on Cats and Cosby. Always have some big stuff. Thank you, my friend. My pleasure. Thanks a lot.
Wow, that is going to be explosive. Uh, first of all, on the Devin Archer case and the IRS whistleblower, um, George Venizelos, who was head of the New York office, of course, of the FBI. I have a question. Why, why was the case assigned to Delaware? Of course, we know that there's a connection with Hunter Biden in Delaware, but it seems like everyone's now talking about the U.S. attorney there who said he didn't have the authority, according to the whistleblowers, even though he's saying otherwise. I- you know, I think that's a, that's an interesting point, and, and it's, it could be a criticism. You know, Delaware, where the Biden family lived, right, and in the, the you know the father was the senator there for so many years. I mean, frankly, if I, I think what they should have done, they should have took it. They shouldn't have put it to Delaware. They should have put it in like a New York office, where the agents work these high level, high profile cases and have a lot of experience with it, and 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 they're out of the politics of the perception. That Delaware is a such a it's a tiny state. Let's face it, you know the Bidens kind of run the state for the most part. You know you take that conflict out of there. You know you can't get it out of Washington because Washington's political. And they, they should they should have they should have to, you know I I don't like second guessing, but uh, they should have the deputy director at the time should have should have put the case in New York. Yeah, that's what I think a number of people are. You know, Judge Weinberg. You know, it was amazing today. They came out and said that they recommended. Uh, the IRS, um, and also uh, uh, also um, individuals with the FBI and others said that there should have been felony charges against Hunter Biden. And then somehow mm-hmm. it disappeared. Well, that the, was explosive. The most interesting thing to me is you have this conflict with Weiss with his own previous statements. Now he's contradicting himself. He's trying to write this letter, which kind of wiggles around it. But fundamentally, the Attorney General of the United States, Judge Garland, is now in a obstruction and a perjury trap because Weiss has to get him off that hook <clears throat> or he has to say that I was lying before. I was I was conning my own staff and I said I didn't have the authority to do this. The whole point is if he had the authority to do it, why didn't he do it? And if Garland is right that the U.S. attorneys in California, District <coughs> Columbia, was supposed to cooperate, why didn't they cooperate? And the Attorney General of the United States does not need a request from the U.S. Attorney in Delaware to appoint a special counsel. He is the Attorney General of the United States. There are a lot of unanswered questions here, but it puts Weiss directly <coughs> against Garland, and what is the truth? Yeah, big questions, absolutely. You know, Pete King, you know, I was amazed um, today, too, is that there was this Everything was like, okay, I have other people corroborating this. He was naming names. Um, I mean, where does it go from here? This is a big, this is very serious. We just heard from Newt Gingrich earlier in the show who said he thinks it's bigger than Watergate. It is, but I think it's important that we make sure we keep a Republican Congress and with a Republican president because this Justice Department is going to try to slow walk this. They're going to try to bury it. And the fact is no pressure coming from the mainstream media. So we got to keep the pressure on in Congress and make sure we elect Republicans. I'm not saying that in the partisan way. I'm saying that in the practical way is the only way you're going to get justice. Yeah, to have counterbalances, right? Yeah. The, yeah. And Governor Pataki. Uh, uh, I just want to follow up on what Peter said about the mainstream media. I think we have two major threats to our democracy. One is when you have a Justice Department that is blatantly political. And, and distorts justice and then lies about it for political reasons. But the second is the media. You know, I wouldn't have known all this happened, Rita, today if I hadn't been on, on the, the Katz's show tonight. And I wonder if ABC, CBS, NBC, the New York Times are going to make as big a deal out of this as they should. This is a huge deal. But if the public doesn't know it, 
it goes away. Yeah, so, kind of like the Hunter Biden laptop, which, remember, exactly people right. didn't know about before the election. They were not allowed to know about it. It was banned from uh, from the media because it was Russian dis- disinformation. So I just pray that the mainstream media finally gets its act together and says, hey, this is real. We've got to cover it. Yeah, great points. Judge Weinberg? The fact of the matter is, if you didn't have the United States House of Representatives with a speaker who's a Republican running these investigations and controlling the investigative power of the Congress, it would still be buried. And if they lose that power next year, and I say this is a House Democrat, whether in the Senate or the House, it will be buried again, and that's be a tragedy. Judge, does that mean they're only offering $10,000 on student loans to get back? So they, <laughs> they, they better offer more I'm money. Not, they offer 20000 That's and, right. And even if you don't have a student loan, you get 10000 back. That's right. I want my, I want my student loans back. Going back to I the mean, war of I, never had a student I loan. want my student loans back. But if they, I never had a student loan. <laughs> Maybe right. if they gave me 10000 Can I say one thing? I had a student loan. I remember the day I paid it you off. You want reparations. <laughs> I want it. I want it. I want it. I have four kids with student loans. Reparations <laughs> for people that already paid their student loan. And by the way, real quick, George, you as know the FBI you agent. The right you, way. you know the FBI I, agent. I know of him. Corroborating it, right? I love him. He was a solid agent. Wow. Fred well, wait, we're going to have that FBI agent on maybe sometime. Yes. We'll see. Of course, he, he has maybe. to be here on and, Cats and Cosby. All right. Maybe. What do we all stand for? Truth, Truth justice, and the American way. way. God bless America.